My name is Danielle DeVoe. You are listening to Midtown Radio, and I am here with a special presentation of On the Scene. Today, I am talking to three local writers. We are going to be talking about University of Waterloo Department of English Language and Literature's new program in creative and professional writing. So with me here today is Antonio Michael Downing, who graduated from uh, UW English uh, and is a celebrated author of a number of works that we'll talk about a bit later. Also, Lamise Alathari, a continuing lecturer in the Department of English Language and Literature at the University of Waterloo and also a published author. And Sarah Tolmy, a professor at, in the Department of English, Language and Literature at the University of Waterloo, and also a celebrated and published author. So thank you so much, all of you, for joining me today. So I think that I will, um, I'm just going to start with you, Antonio Michael. Can we talk a little bit about your, um, you went to the University of Waterloo. Can you tell me when was that? Uh, what did you take? And, and, and what was that experience like? <laughs> a timely question um because it's still happening i'm actually oh. taking courses at uw right now um i started in 95 i specialized in uh in english literature um and yeah it was um you know i was doing a lot of things i i was you know i was a broken home kid, working class kid, immigrant kid, really by a lot of accounts, I shouldn't have been there. And so I, but I loved it and it was very nourishing for me. So I, I played for the University of Waterloo Warriors basketball team. I uh, wrote for the imprint. I edited an art journal called the Phoenix. And I think that was sort of my coming together of my creative imagination was sort of, and, and you know, it, it happened between the English department, but also between East Campus Hall, where I would go to study, um, you know, I was far from the kid who was trying to, you know, get a degree to go get a job. And I didn't have, you know, one of the advantages of not having parents is that you don't have parental pressure um, so of course you don't usually get into university. <laughs> um, um, so I kind of beat the odds. And so I was taking religious studies. I was taking a lot of history. And one of my obsessions was, uh, art history. And so I would go to East Campus Hall and I would walk out and I would see people making stuff, sculpting, painting, like, like welding, like, and, uh, and that energy of sort of wanting to make things. I didn't get that from uh, from my literature classes because what I got there was studying great things that were made, which I really appreciated. Uh, and everything that I studied, I tried to copy. And that's really the genesis of me as a writer. 
is reading all of that stuff, wanting to fusing in this spirit of making and wanting to copy it. I mean, I think it's such an incredible point. You know, I we as 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 a as an instructor myself at the university, I see this all the time that uh, students' desires and focus on the end game of like the job that they want to get gets in the way of so much learning because they're really obsessed with like getting through to the end thing and everything that you put in front of them to have them learn is a barrier to getting through to that end thing. And so I think this idea of of like not having that um, that pressure to think like, oh, well, what am I going to do with this? That you could mm -hmm. actually just take things that you were interested in, that you were passionate about and actually just sit with them and take like to take the time to actually pursue those interests, which has ended up in your case, you know, you, you have a beautiful career that came out of that. It worked I, out. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. You became, you know, you became a writer. You did the thing. Um, do you have any um, specific memories from um, from your undergraduate and what, you know, what was there like a book that was really like the catalyst for, you know, I want to be able to write like this or I want to be able to write better than this? I mean, there's lots of books and lots of moments and lots of things. I would say, I would say uh, there's prof there were professors who had a kind of an effect on me because they were treating my thoughts as if my thoughts were valuable, even though when you're a kid and you look at a professor, they're way up here on this pedestal. And they treated my thoughts as if they were valuable, like, um, you know, like like for some of them still teach there. Fraser Easton, for example, um, Kathy Atchison, Professor North uh, with Shakespeare uh, over at St. Jerome's, um, Stan Fogel, uh, Professor Nicoli, who just retired from the Italian department. Like this guy, he would talk to me about Dante as if. I, my thoughts on Dante were equal to his, and he was probably one of the foremost scholars on Dante in Canada. And so it sort of gave me a sense that rather than just being someone that studies great artists and what they've done, that actually I had worth and that I could actually be one of those great artists in a sense that all of those great artists were just one students just like me and and they looked up to their heroes and thought they were unachievable unreachable once upon a time and they found a path to that and the beginning for me was those teachers who i looked up to and who seemed to have godlike knowledge and who had all these great books and there were lots of great books but also um I think just that faith that they put in me that, you, you know, you're actually, and I can remember professors pulling me aside and talking to me and having these conversations and just realizing, oh, wow, like, oh, I, I actually have things that, that matter and that are valuable. And, and that was sort of a, a general turning point that just said, oh, I'm going to make stuff too. Yeah, well, and I think this idea of empowering 
our students to 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 feel like their ideas matter and that they can they can do things with those ideas and they can participate in these complicated conversations. And Lamise, I know a lot of your pedagogy has been really geared towards empowering students and expanding the kinds of conversations and the kinds of courses that they're they're able to take in the program. So maybe can you talk a little bit about how you came to Waterloo um, and and sort of um how you decided, uh, you know, you really pushed for there to be a creative writing program. So what was that, um, you know, what was that journey like? Um, well, I, I was just uh, starting here. We were immigrants at the time. It was 2008. And um, I was actually looking for a teaching position somewhere. I had two master's degrees in English and nothing to do um, with two young kids. And um, I met with Fraser and and uh, and Tony Michael was talking about Fraser and Fraser kind of, you know, I I, will, I always tell him you saw something in me that I didn't see in myself and you kind of invited me into that space of, of finishing a, a degree that I didn't think I wanted or needed or was particularly interested in, but uh, uh, it got me going on a number of things and got me interested in so many things, uh, you know. Uh, that I didn't think were possible for me at the time. Uh, so when we, I mean, when I started with the program, we don't have, and we currently don't have anything for graduate students in creative writing. So there isn't that mix. We do have options where we have students can write creative you know, uh, dissertations, but nothing where um, there's a focus. We don't have those courses, but I found, um, and this was actually not even through the department. I started teaching, I think my first, course, which was um, Creative Writing 1, 335, uh, was done with uh, Renison. And I like, I just kind of was introduced to that uh, world of, you know, working with students one-on-one -on -one and doing workshops. And um, I'm always in awe and amazement till now um, at how they can put together stories out of nothing, like just, you know, the, the slightest in inspiration. And I would challenge them. I'd bring in objects and they'd create stories and poems around those objects in ways that I could never think about. Um, my kind of my my focus has always been life writing. Um, and so most of my work highly depends on inspiration I get from my background, from back home. Um, the, the collection of stories I'm working on, The Fortune Teller, actually talks about um, my experiences with fortune tellers and kind of the, the um, that kind of culture in Iraq uh, that my aunts grew up talking about and, uh, you know, telling us about. So it highly depends on that. And then you go into these classrooms and watch how from nothing they create these amazing stories, um, amazing themes, like amazing worlds that are so complete and so full uh, that you kind of just dive into them. So um, I think it's the the student experience that's become really important uh, from my end. And I think us pushing, I mean, even Sarah, I mean, she's here, she was part of that kind of pushing towards a creative writing program or a degree. Um, I think we saw something in that that allowed students to step outside of the norm, right? So you're not only analyzing literature or writing essays, um, but you're actually kind of creating as well, right? Uh, we also have a really large number of students that come from the kind of from STEM and amazing, amazing writers. And so that 
kind of invited people into our own spaces at, at the department, right? So um, we learned from them and they learned from us and they left the English department knowing a little bit more about themselves as creators as well as, um, you know, uh, scholars, right? Well, and how important it is to to not to, to be able to have students who are doing creative writing from all kinds of disciplinary backgrounds, you know, that people, people write what they know best. And, you know, if no, if no student from science ever came and did a creative writing class, then we wouldn't have really great science fiction books. No, that's true. Uh, <laughs> that's true. They bring a really different element from our English students, right? And uh, students in humanities. And it's really interesting to see because they approach it. For instance, you'll have um, engineers coming in and they will give you details of, uh, you know, objects to the point like, you know, this this many centimeters or this many inches and um, kind of those details that that start kind of popping up in your head like, oh, I can, you know, approach this writing this way. Um, it doesn't have to be so big. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot to learn from them, I guess. So you uh, were writing before you came to Waterloo um, and, and you've continued to have a, a, a writing practice. Um, I wonder if, if 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 both you and Antonio, Antonio Michael can talk a little bit about how you got your first uh, creative writing publication, especially not coming out of a creative writing program necessarily. Like, you know, you... you how did you understand who the gatekeepers keepers were? How did you understand how to navigate the system? How did you find a gap or a space where you could publish something? So maybe Antonio Michael, we'll start with you. Your first creative writing publication. Um, uh, what? How did? How did you do it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, and I'll say this is. Um, very often in in creativity and in in pursuing gatekeepers and such very, most of my early stuff in music and in writing i kind of created it out of nothing myself um i i think i learned the i first got that inclination from um, another great Waterloo alumnus, uh, who's also a fabulous writer, Carrie Snyder. Her, I met her brother at a time when they were roommates and we would, we became fast friends and he would go and paint. So he was an East Campus Hall boy and he would go and paint in his studio and I would sit there and I would write and then he would go and just have shows where people would come and just watch his paintings. And I was like, you can't do that. That's what, you know, Caravaggio and Picasso get to do. But those are people who are long dead and, and in books. And he's like, well, watch me. And so I, I went and watched him put on these shows. And then I put on shows with him. And his dad, uh, Arnold Snyder, who is a Conrad Grable professor in uh, Mennonite history, uh, he had this printing press. And so we would kind of just um, badger Arnie into letting us um, print things. And so the first thing I ever printed was a show uh, where 
it, you know, super nerdy, but Christian and I did a show. It was called Children on Cato's Mountain, and it was named after a poem I wrote in three acts, which are in Terza Rima, which is like, why? <laughs> you know. that's, that's getting a double thumbs up from. Yeah, I'm getting the double thumbs up from our 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 Chau, our Chau Syrian expert, and I was like, which is so nerdy and crazy, but that's what I was reading. I was reading Dante, and I wanted to write like that, and so I wrote this thing. And when you go back and read like it, it's it reads like a Latin Telemundo soap opera. And he painted scenes from it. And as I sat and read it to a Spanish guitar, no less, uh, the paintings were revealed until it built to the climax in the massive painting, which sits in, in his gallery even now. And that was the first thing I published. And that's a lot of what I've done up until, you know, Saga Boy, which is just, you know, four or five years ago. Um, certainly in music has been like that. That's when I realized, oh, we can just do things ourselves. We don't have to wait for people or figure out the system or anything like that. And even when, you know, Penguin Random House did become interested in what I was doing, a lot of it was because they saw what all the stuff I had done on my own and said, oh, this is really interesting. Um, and so my uh, advice is, you know, for if you have that bone, do it yourself, make it happen for yourself. And if you do it long enough, you get good at it and people notice it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so um, Lamise and Sarah, you know, how much have you has just even having a creative writing program in the Department of English at the University of Waterloo? Um, it's going to help sort of keep more people being empowered or willing or brave enough to do what Antonio Michael just set out to do. Um, you know, so how, how much of, how much have you been thinking about that as, as the program has been launched this past fall? I would say I have found that the moment it was actually possible to sign up for a degree, a sort of recognizable entity, uh, you know, at least half of all of my classes, and I'm teaching mostly creative writing right now, was in that major, <laughs> like overnight. As soon as there was an opening for them to kind of gather their forces and tell themselves and probably their parents, oh, look, these courses that I've been taking anyway, but that I couldn't shape into any you know known heading. Well, now I can. Look, there's a program. I'm in a program. You know, So I have sensed a lot of... Uh, sort of esprit de corps immediately. It was very different teaching in that, in those creative writing classrooms this fall from last fall. Now those classrooms, I think always were very um, kind of happy places because there were always students in them from the whole breadth of the university. That's always been the interesting thing about creative writing with us in that it is in fact, overwhelmingly been STEM kids who are, have been doing it and they bring all those skills with them. Um, and you know they are excellent materialists. They're very good observers. They are good logical thinkers. They are storytellers and experimenters. And if you tell them this is an experiment, they will completely go with you. You know, so that's always been part of it. But it's sort of interestingly, it's actually more the artsier students, the kind of English students who were in fact never numerically uh, the strongest cohort. 
you know, who have sort of now gained a bit of ground. And some of the STEM kids have come over. They have crossed the line. They have become, uh, you know, at least double majors or majors. It's, you know, that certainly does happen. Um, but there has been more, um, well, as I say, it's kind of an artsy esprit de corps, which is new. Um, I don't think it's alienating any previous, you know, kind of versions. I don't think that the uh, you know, that the STEM students are feeling hard done by. But I do think that the artsier kids, the, the ones who have kind of come into it, sometimes with already a practice from high school, the ones who took writer's craft, that kind of thing, now feel that they have a kind of professional way forward that is very pleasing to them um, and kind of identity forming for them. Well, and it feels nice to say, you know, because I think, anyone can be a writer in theory, but it's hard to feel empowered to say, I am a writer, to tell people that that's what you do, that that is your vocation. Uh, and so this, there, there is value in having that legitimizing force of a degree that's, that you can then say, well, I am trained as a writer and now I am a practicing writer and i and and also just that sort of support system i think it's a kind of incredible there are so many authors in this region i mean it, it's it's quite shocking how many writers are kicking around uh and and maybe uh in a bit invisible that it's not really acknowledged that this is a really strong writing uh place uh and yet there you know the the list is endless but you know do you think that having this program can really be an important part of, of supporting a, a literary scene uh, regionally and maybe getting more sort of understanding acknowledgement of the importance of this creative sector in this region? I hope so. I mean, my sense right now, and I think Lamise can probably speak more to this because she's been involved with New Quarterly for a good long time now. And the New Quarterly has been a power in the land, right, in this region, actually creating buzz and interest running a long-term well-funded national magazine and running the Wild Writers Festival, which really does turn the whole national eye onto this region at least, you know, once a year and very high powered people come and in so, and, and the locals also, you know, get to be part of it. So I think we're going to do our best to get some sort of um, either part of the festival or festival adjacent uh, events to sort of welcome the creative and professional writing program kind of into the kind of community space a bit more and actually have our students be able to come and see the the, the writers who teach in the program, you know, me and Lamise and indeed Carrie and Clara Tacon and a whole bunch of other people who have now or historically taught in the program, you know, will finally get to be sort of bracketed and showcased, which will be fun. Um, you know, but it uh, there is a lot going on. I mean, as you said, you, you know, tennis, McDonald on this very radio station has a regular literary show. There's the new book fest that happens in the, you know, in the first week of September, last week of August now. So there's a little bit of groundswell for a more public face, you know, and I think we can certainly help it a little bit. And I do think we could keep running some interesting events and readings that would get local writing persons in front of our students. 
Yeah, well, and it is kind of, you know, this, the program, the very, the program that this is on, on the scene, you know, we, it's, it's largely an events program. We interview people who have new creative work coming out, often musicians, but also um, we do theater interviews, we do visual arts interviews, we do literary scene interviews much less frequently. I mean, and, and, and in part because Tannis has got that covered. But also it doesn't it's it doesn't get the same kind of attention. I don't think it occurs to people for an, an, a cultural events program to even recommend new authors uh, or authors of new new works. And I think that's a big oversight. It is an important cultural scene. And at a certain point in history, when you talked about cultural scenes, you were only talking about literary scenes, really. It wasn't other types of, of scenes. Um, but, you know, so with that in mind, this is a an, an events-focused program. So I think we're going to, we'll focus in on uh, the launch of the, the the creative and professional writing program is is coming up on March 6th. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But before we do, Antonio Michael Downing, you 2024 is a a decent year for you as a writer. Uh, you uh, have published a children's book, Stars in My Crown, and you also have the book Cha Black Cherokee forthcoming. So could you want to talk about uh, those two books a little bit and, and sort of the process of getting them out there? Yeah, um, sure. It's, I mean, Stars in My Crown uh, is... I know I I have never had children, <laughs> um, and so and as a kid I you know I skipped Dr. Seuss and went straight to the plagues of Egypt because I learned to read from uh, my grandma basically using me as her eyes because she couldn't read her King James Bible. So um, when my agent suggested that the first uh, act of my memoir Saga Boy would make a great children's book. I was kind of like, what do I know about children's book? And the more I, um, but the more I read, the more I realized that I didn't really understand how sophisticated they could be and how you could tackle big topics, difficult topics, even um, even sad or, or, or tricky topics for adults you could tackle in children's books. I was like, wow, this is cool. And it's more akin to writing a narrative poem than it is writing a novel or or a or prose uh, larger work. Uh, so there was a lot of time spent reading children's books and and just exploring that. And that was super fun. I felt like I was catching up <laughs> with what I didn't get <laughs> in my uh in my British Empire Commonwealth <laughs> plagues and locusts um, <laughs> of the King James upbringing. Um, and then when I started writing, it happened really quick and it went through a lot of drafts and, but really it's been done since 2020. And so literally the first thing I wrote post pandemic or during the pandemic after the advent of it was this book, which is really about me having, it's it's a fictionalized version of my life as a kid, having big feelings, uh, not knowing how to process them. And my grandmother's trying to teach me how to be patient and I'm bad at it. And um, and eventually she passes away and I, I come to Canada and finally I sort of start seeing what she was talking about the whole time. And so it's, um, it's really beautiful. Um, 
I, we approached, my agents had an idea already. They knew who they wanted to talk to. Uh, Tundra, which is an arm of Penguin Random House, their young adult and uh, children's lit arm, uh, picked it up and they said, we love it. Can you write two? And so this is actually the first of two children's books. Uh, the second one, Mangoes, comes out next year. And um, and it's just been a really fun process, like working with an artist, illustrations. And, you know, I was involved in picking the artist, but not involved in approving the illustrations until the end when they kind of said, what do you think? Uh, but just a very beautiful process and very visual in addition to the words. Uh, it all became sort of one thing, which I wasn't used to. Um, Black Cherokee is is more, you know, when I when I started writing and be, publishing after Sagaboy, I kind of said, you know, I don't know. I always knew I wanted to write. I felt like I've always been a writer. I just haven't been publishing. So it was like, what would you like to do? And I sort of thought, oh, I'm going to try everything. I tried essays, memoir, children's books. And and then I started on a novel and somewhere in there, I realized I didn't really know how to write a novel. And so it took me, I think, we're 16 drafts to figure out how to actually do it. I was lucky enough that uh, last year in fall, last year, March, so 2022, March, we sent it out and everyone said no. And then one crazy lady, uh, no, she's not crazy. She's lovely. Janie Yoon at Simon & Schuster Canada just saw something in the voice. And she just said, there's something here. It's going to take a lot of work to get it out. And so we worked together for about nine months. And then, and then Simon & Schuster New York decided that they really loved it. And I'm not going to tell you too much about it, but just to say it's a coming of age story uh, about a girl who is both Black and Cherokee, which are kind of these two words, even when you put them together, there's this friction between them because it's like those two things don't go together. And that's the friction of her upbringing. And that's the story. Sounds great. I look forward to, to reading it when it finally comes out. Um, and Lamise, you talked a little bit about um, what you're working on, um, you know, what, when, that, this is a cruel question, when can we expect to, to be able to read this work? Uh, that's a really good question that I don't have an answer to, but I think um, because I, teaching comes first uh, in my job and then uh, academic writing has a part in that and I'm working on um, an edited volume with a colleague on motherhood and generational trauma. And so I have been immersed in that and trying to finish up stuff on the side, uh, on the side, uh, as if we have enough time. But I mean, that's kind of part of it. But um, the fortune teller came out of um, this story that my aunt used to tell us about going to a fortune teller and doing, you know, um, love potions and friendship potions and things like that. And the, the concept of of magic that, um, you know, that's really strange in a very strict Muslim community, right? Um, and how people believe in that and, and how it's very much part of who they are. Um, and it's really interesting to kind of expand on that. So at the moment, what I'm trying to do is just kind of collect 
um, some of those stories and collect some of those ideas that I missed out on as a child, right? So you're, you were busy doing other things while, you know, people were going to the fortune teller. <laughs> um, but I think um, I'm hoping that by the end of the year, I will have something prepared. I don't know if that will be with a publisher or not, but Antonio, Michael, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's hard. You never know. You never just, you just never know how long it's going to take. And yeah, it does. It, and it takes a while. And I, I think, you know, a program like we have at Waterloo right now, a, a program like this allows, you know, students to understand that it's not a magical process. It's not you going to the publisher and automatically, you know, um, being picked up. It's not, this is not an advertisement where you're, you know, um, they see you at the end of the room and think, oh, you might be a good writer. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of going, just like Sarah said, to festivals like, um, the Wild Writers Festival, like the full festival that takes place in Brampton. There are a number of festivals all over. It takes a lot of effort. You have to you have to know how to workshop. You have to know how to accept um, kind of peer feedback. You have to, there's so, so many pieces to it. It's not just you kind of sitting and, and um, writing a masterpiece. Like, like uh, Antonio Michael was saying, uh, 16, uh, you know, edits and 16 going back and forth. Um, I feel you, man, but <laughs> it's mm -hmm. the reality. That's It's the truth of it. Yeah, and I think it's interesting when you talk about uh, the program and creating a culture of making, because I think that's what we're really talking about, right? When I walked into East Campus Hall, I saw people who were intent on making things and expressing themselves that way. And I think that the difference you know, UW literature department has that, like our English department has had that, like so many writers have come out of the program almost by accident, you know? Um, um, and that's, um, you know, from Rupi Carr to Carrie Snyder, like, like so many people, Nadia Hahn. Um, and so I think the program, it represents an opportunity to kind of crystallize that energy, which is already there and give it legitimacy, give it voice, give it gas in the tank. And, and what, what I've noticed is a lot of the students aren't connected to the Wild Riders and to the New Quarterly. Like it's, it's there, we have this vast pool of folks who love to take creative writing. So we know they have that energy, but I think the great challenge is how do we connect that energy and let them know that, you know, the new quarterly and wild writers is about them. It's about them and it's an opportunity for them. And I think that that's what I didn't have. And, and none of the writers that have succeeded at you from UW. Yeah, have that's had, right. That's know, right. And and that's where we met. We met at the Wild Writers Festival, you and I, a few years ago. Yeah. And um, you came to my class and and it just, we moved from there into kind of, uh, you know, I think you come every time now. Um, yeah. The students love seeing you and listening to you and learning from you. And it's what you were talking about. It's that connection and that community, that network and that culture of being a writer that um, I think we need to work on creating it at, mm -hmm. um, at the department. So yeah. really good points, yes. 
And events, events like uh, like we have coming up, I think is a big opportunity to do that. So, I mean, that's my segue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, tell us all about it, you know, and, and so both Antonio Michael and Lamise will be uh, doing readings. So March 6th, 4 to 6 p.m., the University of Waterloo Grad House Upstairs Lounge. Um, what's going to be happening at this? It's, it's uh, you know, the, the creative and professional writing program officially launched fall 2023. There are majors now, but this is the, this is the big uh, event to really celebrate the fact that we are now fully committed to having a creative writing program and, and we're going to be listening to some beautiful creative writing. So what's going to happen at that event? Well, I mean, actually... I'm I'm I am only the backseat driver of this event. I do think at the at the end of the day, it actually is really about the relationship that Lamise and Antonio Michael had already forged, and which they I actually just simply became aware of more or less accidentally. And I realized that as they were both alumni, we had to have an event that was for the students from graduates of the program, and that was the obvious logical place to do at least a kind of soft launch, you know, kind of something internally facing, particularly facing toward the students and focused on people who had studied English as well as other subjects at UW. And look, they they did it. <laughs> look what they did, you know? And so that they could have the opportunity, each of them to read, which I think both are going to do. I'm not even sure what they're gonna read from and I'm sure they can tell us. Um, and then Lamise is going to uh, sort of facilitate a Q&A with the visiting uh, Antonio Michael. Uh, and yeah, and we have a nice two hour window. So I think we feel like we can really get a lot done in that time. And there will be food and drink and just general socializing after that point. That's great. Well, I am very excited about this upcoming event. I'm very excited about the new major um, in, in creative and professional writing. And I want to thank all of you for making time to chat with me today. Um, this uh, episode will be available. Uh, if you loved it, it'll be available on demand on our Transistor page. So watch the, the Midtown Radio KW social feeds for information about when you can listen to this insightful interview again. And reminder, March 6th, 4 to 6 p.m., UW Grad House in the Upstairs Lounge, you will get to hear readings from both Lamise Alathari and Antonio Michael Downing. This was a special presentation of On the Scene. My name is Danielle DeVoe. My guests today were Antonio Michael Downing, Lamise Alathari, and Sarah Tolmy. We were discussing the new creative and professional writing program at the University of Waterloo in the Department of English Language and Literature and some of their projects and publications. You can listen to previous episodes of On the Scene at onthescenekw.transistor.fm or go to midtownradio.ca for more information. Thanks for listening.